Small Biz Pod Sales Edition, episode number one. This is Uncle Spats wishing you a very warm welcome to the first episode of the Small Biz Pod Sales Edition. If you're involved with or have responsibility for sales in a small or medium-sized enterprise, whether it's just you or you have a sales team, this is for you. In this episode, I have an interview with Beth Rogers, author of Rethinking Sales Management and chair of the UK National Sales Board. I'll also be explaining what this whole series is about and how you can get involved. So here we are with the first episode of the sales edition of Small Biz Pod. Uh, I thought I'd start with a word of explanation of, of how this came about. Uh, Alex was keen to establish some new podcast channels, uh, building on the success of Small Biz Pod. So we looked at some potential themes, and uh, one issue that kept cropping up in my discussions with small business owners uh, was that, in the current climate, the challenge of generating and sustaining sales. And the more I looked into it, the more I thought it was the right way to go. So the way that I'm thinking this will work is is similar to the main Small Biz Pod service. That is, there'll be a couple of podcasts a month based around interviews on topics of interest with interesting people. And I'll try to make these uh, focus on practical solutions wherever I can. Uh, supporting the podcast will be content on the website. Uh, there'll be periodic blogs, emails, newsletters and tweets for those of you that way inclined. Now, to make this work properly, I really need your involvement. Uh, I'd like to hear from you about the issues that you're facing and the questions that you would like answering, all that uh, relating to sales. I'll then try and find the answers and, uh, and try and find the right people to interview. And I'll give you details of the various ways that you can contact me at the end of the show, or you can just go to the Small Biz Pod website and it'll be signposted from there. <laughs> So on to this episode's interview, I wanted to find somebody who could kick us off with a good overview of sales within an SME context and the challenges faced. So I was delighted when Beth Rogers uh, agreed to have a chat with me. Beth has a fantastic pedigree in sales and sales management, both from a practitioner's point of view and from the perspective of transferring knowledge. Beth's regarded as a leading thinker on the topic of sales management, and she's also sought out for her ability to provoke the thinking of others. She manages the primary postgraduate programme for sales managers in Europe at Portsmouth University. Uh, she's a fellow of the Royal Society and she's chair of the UK government's National Sales Board. Uh, she's co-authored a book called Key Account Management and also authored uh, books called Customer Perspective and more recently uh, Rethinking Sales Management. I went down and had a chat with Beth uh, in Portsmouth recently, and we even managed to get a guest appearance by the Red Arrows in there partway through, so see if you can spot that. So Beth, we could start with um, maybe expand a bit on the roles that, that you currently fulfil. 
Okay, well, I'd like to start with my teaching. I, I think most uh, people who are involved with transferring knowledge like to um, talk first of all about how um, one helps others um, with uh, improving their knowledge and uh, and application. Yeah. Uh, the Masters in Sales Management was established at Portsmouth Business School seven years ago. And we are now, um, really, we, we have an alumni base um, that's uh, getting close to 100. Okay. Um, and what we're doing there is enabling people with experience of sales management um, to convert vocational experience into academic learning. Now, you may say, well, what's the value of that? And it's the thinking skills that come with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we quite often see alumni progressing um, to um, board level roles uh, as a result and um, being able to compete in companies where, I mean, particularly European companies, um, where you find that uh, having a master's degree is, is the passport to getting more senior positions. Yeah, and the sort of size of companies, the, the range of the size of companies that they, they, they would come from? It varies enormously, but I'd say that um, very few come from the large corporates. Um, it is uh, what I call the, the real growth area in the economy, the, um, the smaller or medium-sized firms. Uh, where uh, people have experience and um, they're, they're looking for something to differentiate themselves. Right, that's, that's very encouraging. Okay, and, and other roles you have, the, um, tell me about the, the National Sales Board. Well, the National Sales Board uh, was established by the government back in 2003 and it was to set up national occupational standards for sales, which sounds very dry and, of course, you know, for the purposes of the Department of Education, certain criteria have to be met. But the importance of it was um, to have a benchmark um, for companies to use uh, if they have recruitment or development issues in the sales function. Yeah. Um, it was internationally uh, run in, in terms of um, availability. Uh, so we know we have feedback from other countries as well that um, it, it's a pretty good standard. Um, and although it's very comprehensive, you can um, kind of pick and mix. Right. So um, a lot of um, managers and, and HR people and, and training people, um, when they have issues around um, how to develop sales skills, yeah. um, they, they have somewhere to go and, and it's free and, you know, it, it kind of uh, gives you that. That starting block. Right, excellent. Okay. And, and with the book, um, Rethinking Sales Management, what's the motivation behind writing that? Well, I think probably the, the, the tipping point, there's always something like a tipping point, isn't there? I was at a conference um, for academics and a very senior marketing professor from the States was um, giving a speech and asking for questions. And... The theme of his speech was that, you know, marketing is not strategic enough. Marketing Mm -hmm. must uh, get more strategic and and less just kind of um, tweaking. And so um, I I asked him, well, um, I said, 
that um, I'd be interested to know your views on the strategic role of sales. Um, and he said, oh, no, no, sales doesn't have a strategic role. Sales is <laughs> operational. Sales, he didn't say this exactly, I'm paraphrasing, but he implied that uh, sales should just get on and do what marketing told it to do. Right. And I thought, well, my experience in life, which has been in, in the technology sector, so business to business, um, you know, also familiar with uh, the pharmaceutical sector um, and, um, and manufacturing to some degree. And I thought, well, you know, life isn't like that. Um, the sales function is hugely important, mm. not just to the supplier, but to the customers. Um, and, you know, because, you know, ultimately no strategy is going to work unless the customers buy into it. Yeah. Uh, the sales function is, is absolutely critical, both in forming business strategy and uh, implementing it and uh, bringing that critical feedback from customers to make sure that the strategy is right, you know, yeah. it's effective as well as efficient. Yeah, and that's interesting because you, you know, all businesses obviously need cash to survive, which is essentially how they sell. So you would imagine that the sales function is going to be the most highly regarded of professions, but it doesn't seem to be the case. What's your view on that? Not only does it not seem to be the case, the research shows that it certainly isn't the case. Right. Um, there was a big uh, project done in the States a few years ago looking at all the TV and film scripts going back to 1903. Yeah. Um, all the plot lines that involved salespeople. Um, and the majority of them were negative. Right. And that is um, quite sad, but I, I, I suppose um, it's indicative of the fact that, you know, an, an interesting character is a bad character. Right. Uh, good salespeople, um, it seems, aren't, aren't very uh, worthy of uh, writing stories about. Um, but that having been said, of course, that has a knock-on effect because, you know, people pick up these stereotypes and then, of course, the stereotypes feed back um, into uh, the way that the media portrays the profession. Yeah. OK. And, uh, and from what I've seen, that they, there has been you know, moves to, to make sales more professional over the, the last mm. sort of several years. Um, and what have you seen in terms of the efforts that have been made there in terms of the, the, the training that takes place, the techniques that are now used. Um, what, what, are, what have you seen from that? Well, I agree. I, I think there's a recognition at board level now that sales is a profession and that it's a great thing for somebody to want to spend their lives delivering value uh, to a customer on behalf of a supplier. And uh, we see that in specialist organisations um, booming, so contract sales organisations yeah. that, um, you know, they sell um, and that's their, their whole reason for being. Um, they're booming. And within companies, um, the skills level of, of salespeople is being, it, it's the investment is going in. And so with sales itself, would you say art or science? A bit of both. Mm. Uh, I think that the idea of sales as black magic has been overplayed. 
certainly, of course, it helps if you actually like people, you know. Um, So um, there are certain attributes that people can have that can help them um, be uh, an effective salesperson. And I think creativity is part of that Mm. because you do have to design solutions and you do have to solve problems for customers. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, there are things that you can learn which are fairly straightforward. Questioning techniques, for yeah. example, um, the value of listening, um, adapting within um, a sales call, um, the kind of discipline within sales processes that can actually save you time further down the line. Um, so it's, um, it's, varied actually yeah. and and that again is part of the uh, the attraction of the job yeah and the, and there's sometimes this this question about you know sales people are they born or you know or can you you train mm. from what you're saying there it, it's, there are certain characteristics that that would be desirable for somebody mm-hmm. in that that role but there's a lot that could be trained in and and education could play a key part in that Yes, I'd probably make the distinction between sales efficiency and sales effectiveness. With the efficiency, I mean, that's where training comes in, being able to do your job better tomorrow. Um, And things like, you know, when people start a a sales career, learning, um, questioning techniques and approaches, that that would be an example. Um, When it comes to sales effectiveness, and this is where we start to look at at the bigger challenges with the bigger customers, then I think education comes in there because education gives you the thinking skills that will help you in several months or or Mm. several years time um, when you've got um, really big challenges and you need to think about how to do your research and examine possible ways forward and and you know make some um, pretty important decisions um, on the basis of, of good evidence yeah and some of the things that you, you mentioned there they, they sound the sort of things that the large larger organizations um, would be doing and perhaps investing a lot of time and money into what about the the SMEs? The importance of them adopting you know a a professional sales approach and and getting skilled up themselves. Well, SMEs are where all the growth in the economy comes from. So I think that the um, the challenges that they have in um, the fact that they are always, always um, very proactive um, means that it is difficult to to kind of set aside that um, time and, and investment for um, training and education. Um, but it can really help. Um, to give an example where I've, I've recently um, read a paper by um, some people who looked at the way the balance of resource allocated to particular customers in small companies can help or hinder product development. Right. Now, we all know that um, smaller businesses are, uh, you know, they, they exist because they've had a great product idea, a great service idea. Um, and clearly to maintain momentum and uh, to expand, then that product idea needs to develop and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be followed through with the next wave of technology and so on and so forth. Now, 
what tends to happen, of course, is that small companies also have a small concentration of customers. Mm. Um, and that actually seems to be counterproductive to product development. Um, in some cases, you get customers who are um, quite partnership-oriented with suppliers and therefore um, will actually help them develop the product mm. range. Um, but you've got others that might be uh, demanding, you know, well, this is what we want um, and the price has to keep coming down. Mm. Um, so with, you know, some techniques that we would impart in sales education, um, A, you'd be able to recognise that and, and look at where the problems are. Mm. Um, and then... Um, I mean, I, I'll, I'll sound uh, a bit pretentious here, but I have a, a colleague who's a professor of operations management and, and we meet together looking at, at fuzzy logic as it applies okay. to sales management in that, you know, you have got so many different factors to take into account when making decisions about resource allocation. But, um, you know, when you've found a model that works for you about doing that, um, then you can make sure that you're putting your time into the customers that are going to help you achieve your business objectives as well as theirs. Yeah, so it sounds like you're, you're saying you have different types of relationship with different customers. Exactly. And you need to be quite rigorous about how you allocate resource yes. to those. Yeah. And there must also be, I guess, the balancing there between getting cash in now from customers mm. now and those that might have it in the future. Right. How, how do you go about well, balancing it, that out? You, you do need a variety. Um, I, I know it uh, when people first come across this kind of thinking, they think, ah, oh, right. Um, so the only customers that get resource are, are the ones that are very close to us and um, going to help us with joint ventures and, and so on. Um, I mean, other types of customers can generate cash flow. So as you said, I mean, your cash flow is is king. Um, there's, a, there's a great saying that uh, turnover is vanity, profit is sanity, yeah. but cash flow is reality, yeah. uh, particularly in the current economic climate. Um, so, you know, do tactical business by all means, but, um, you know, do it most efficiently. Um, I've seen some companies um, put um, quite a lot of... Um, regular commoditized business on the web uh, mm. and have customers quite happy with that mm. um, and then of course you know you, you get all the cost efficiencies of that um, you know, with your larger customers where you, know, you don't want to lose the volume um, but you're conscious that they're very sensitive on price uh, again there's a, a challenge and you know what can you take out of what you're doing for that customer um, so that you can meet what they're demanding? Yeah. Um, it has to be said that there are occasions, I mean, I, I know small local businesses um, who refuse to deal with certain big, large companies because they can't make a profit. Right. Um, and that's a tough decision when the trade-off is volume. Yeah. But again, it comes down to this fuzzy logic. Sometimes you've got to do the calculations to work out which ones to actually what's go going to be best. Yeah. Okay. So, so there's some things there on uh, characterising particular re relationships. Uh, if we look at the concept of the sales process, and perhaps um, there might be 
some slightly different process depending on the type of customer. What, what would you say about the, the importance of, of having a defined process for your business? With sales processes in particular, um, there's, there's two acid tests. One is, do they deliver value to the customers? Because I've spoken to so many purchasing decision makers who've said, do you know the difference between supplier X and supplier Y, who are really much of a muchness, mm is that supplier Y is so much easier to do business with. And so that is why I prefer them. That is why I will put more of my money with them. And there's been other research done on a much larger scale um, that shows that if you are easy to do business with, your customers will have a higher intention to stay with you because you're making their life easier. So... That's one acid test. And normally, if you're making your customers' lives easier, the chances are employees also feel that the system is intuitive and working for them rather than working against them. Um, And that makes all the difference to their motivation. So you get this kind of virtuous circle of happy customers, happy employees, and therefore happy shareholders. Uh, um, This tuning of your sales process to match the customer's buying process... Mm. How important is that and how practical is it to do that? Um, Well, uh, with customer portals these days, um, the customer more or less customises it themselves. So um, it is a big upfront investment to get the right people, the right minds um, creating the the possibilities because flexibility means that there has to be choice Um, and yet somehow you've got to convert that choice back into something that that is cost effectively driving uh, some delivery elsewhere in the company in the company um, but I think it's it's a lot um, cheaper and easier than it used to be with yeah I think, I think for, for, for online sales you can particularly do that um, mm. perhaps less easy when you it's it's more of a, a, a direct sales force out actually you know, Sales guy visiting customers. Yes, and, um, and that suggests that the, the size of the deal um, is much greater, and yeah. um, and therefore uh, the importance of um, other things around the company being lined up um, becomes more critical. Um, also, of course, there may be uh, not just customization of the process, but customization of the product. Yeah, indeed. Um, and so, um, yes, I, I agree that. That requires more thought, but nevertheless, this ease of doing business—that's um, yeah, that's the, the, the key uh, thing. So worth having. Yeah, and one of the other things you mention in, in your book is you talk about the importance of salespeople knowing about strategy and about understanding it from from the customer's perspective. Can you expand on that a bit? Uh, yes, in fact, here we teach sales manager not only to understand their own company's strategy but to understand the customer and the the purchasing profession. Mm. Um, the purchasing profession has 
um, over the past 20 years really gone from being um, unqualified, perhaps kind of uh, focused on paper pushing, um, to being um, people who are undoubtedly members of the Chartered Institute of Purchasing and Supply. Mm. Probably many have uh, MSc in Supply Chain Management and they are looking to make a contribution to their company's strategy um, and that may be effectiveness, you know, the best source of supply, mm. um, but for a large number of categories of good will be efficiency, the cheapest source of supply. Um, so you need as a sales manager to understand where they're drawing their boundaries. And so where you need to, how your customer you. is positioned you and how they've categorized exactly. you, as yes. well as you categorizing your customer. That's right. And then you hopefully got something that, that meets in the middle. Exactly. Um, and of course, you do need to be in balance. I mean, we've talked a bit about powerful customers and, um, and how that can affect the way small and medium sized companies develop and grow. Um, and inevitably, um, as a small and medium sized enterprise, you know, your biggest customers are likely to be quite powerful. Um, now they may be powerful in a way that they're going to help you develop as a supplier, or they may be powerful in a way in which, you know, they just want you to do more and cheaper. Um, and then that gives you strategic challenges. Um, and so it, it's understanding their categorization so that you can be realistic about your strategy. Because mm. uh, in all honesty, um, there is something that, you know, we academics call supplier delusion, uh, whereby you can think that you're doing better with a customer than you mm. actually are. Now, that's either because obviously you believe in your product, you believe in your company, and so you would want to be optimistic about it. But equally, maybe the customer is sending some confusing messages mm. and actually getting through that, you know, holding back on your optimism and trying to really penetrate into what the thinking of the customer really is um, can save an awful lot of money. Yeah, and have you got any sort of practical tips for how an organisation could find that out from their customers of, of, of what sort of category they're in? Well, do you know, one of the things that surprises me is how many few suppliers go straight out and ask. Just ask the question. <laughs> Look, <laughs> where do you rate us versus our competitors, Y and, and Z? Um, so, yes, ask is the first point. Um, then, of course, you know, for various reasons, you may not get a direct answer or you'll get a direct answer that you feel is not aligned with the customer's behaviour. Mm. Um, and that, of course, can also be true. You know, customers' perceptions and behaviour can, can differ. Um, so you do need to also monitor what's happening. Um, yeah. And... Um, Obviously, account managers who have quite a lot of contacts within a company um, can normally see that there are maybe different views. You know, you could have a, a purchasing manager that thinks actually you are a very good supplier, but um, a technical manager or a finance mm. director who are not so keen for various reasons. Um, so broadening the contact base is worthwhile. Yeah. And is there value, do you think, in, in having specific sessions to, to review your customers then to see if you can establish 
where you think you, you, you mm. are with that to have that as part of your your sales review process? Uh, certainly for the significant customers, either in terms of, of size or strategic importance, then um, joint planning is well worth it. Um, and it also then reduces a bit of risk. Um, so it's joint planning, forward. you and the customer sitting down yeah. to, to, to do that, yeah. Yes, and um, in fact, I've I've seen uh, some companies um, be, you know, quite grasping the nettle and, and saying to the customer, you know, come on in, we, we want to uh, really get to the nitty-gritty of, of where we stand with you and, and how the business between us is going to go. And you know, drawing little diagrams about, you know, oh, well, you know, we, we, we think that you are uh, here in terms of importance to us and you probably think that we're here and, and now actually we think you're there and that um, but you know you of course must think we're your most important customer yeah. oh you don't oh <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know it, it, it's uh, an uncomfortable place to be sometimes but um, for both companies there are advantages in that yeah once you can get over the shock of that the delusion as you say of, right. of knowing where you actually sit yeah yeah okay um if we're talking about you know, just the current economic uh, climate that we have it's obviously tough for organizations mm -hmm. and what do you see as the, the key challenges that that uh, SMEs face at the moment on, on a sales front? Well, we talked about cash flow earlier, and of course the tendency is in tough economic times um, to feel like any business is good business. So let's go and get lots of bits of business that we might not otherwise have got. Anything after. just to bolster turnover. Um, and that might... Um, you know, might be necessary for cash flow reasons, but um, let's also be aware that, you know, it might build up a risk in the future if it's going to divert resources from, you know, our, our most important stuff. Mm. Um, so um, one of the reasons why contract sales organisations are doing so well at the moment is that um, companies are approaching them to say, look, you know, can you handle um, small scale business at volume for us? Mm. Whilst we really focus on keeping our most important customers um, and also trying to you know, find what opportunities there are. Um, companies are saying, well, you know, we used to uh, go and see the customers and just uh, have plenty to talk about, you know, business to do, places to go. But now it's more a case of making contact with them just to reassure them that we're still in business. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, because, of course, you know, um, some companies are falling by the wayside. Um, and also that we are a safe pair of hands. Mm. You know, it's um, uh, it's not um, exciting stuff out there at the moment, but um, very important in terms of relationship building for the future. Yeah, uh, so that's a lot of reassurance. Keep the keep the dialogue going. Exactly. And then when the, the upturn does come, the, mm. you're you're best positioned for that. Yes, there's, there's one measure that I think is very important in a recession, and that's share of purse, as it's called. Mm. Um, in other words, you know, revenue doesn't tell you very much, but if you are the preferred supplier, maybe the sole supplier with a customer for 
a certain category, um, then, you know, that's the customer that you're going to grow with when the economy turns up. Um, so that's where you need to be focusing resource. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you mentioned about the contract uh, organisation, contract sales organisations there. Is this an emerging trend? It's obviously been something that's been in marketing for a while with call centres and these sort mm-hmm. of things. But do you, do you see now that that's a, a growth sector within, uh, for, for sales? Well, bearing in mind we're in an economic recession and these organisations are growing very fast, then um, it tells you that there is a trend for companies to outsource some sales activities. And what, why are they doing that? It's a question of focus, I think. And also um, sales managers talk about flexibility yeah. with a contract sales organisation. Um, you can get them to pursue tactical opportunities for you um, for short periods of time um, and it, it then works in terms of, you know, switch on, switch off. Um, they are um, also improving skills-wise, I think. The old mm. idea of rent-a-rep was a little bit risky. Um, but now, of course, I, I think these organisations um, have uh, invested a lot in their reputations. Um, and so consequently, um, they know what to provide for their customer in terms mm. of you know, the flexibility, uh, quality measures, as well as quantity measures in terms of what they do. Um, and so, you know, therefore, it's um, for, for many companies, um, it's a way of doing something quickly, which they might not otherwise and, and, have been able to do. In terms of complexity of the product or service, is it the, the, the lower end of complexity that is generally more suited for, for that? Generally, yes. You will find that um, companies, in discerning what they will outsource and what they won't, um, product type is normally pretty important. Obviously, the more complex products, it's more likely to be a fairly um, uh, experienced um, person that's been with the company for a long time that um, can uh, can work with the customer on that. Um, also, perhaps customer segment. There are some customer segments that are difficult to reach either geographically yeah. um, or because it's um, a specialist industry. Um, less so of that in this country compared to the US, I think, but um, it's still a factor. Um, and also sometimes part of the sales process um, in that um, contract sales organisations might focus on uh, lead development and qualification mm. um, and then, do and then hand, hand over when it gets to, to the more right. involved part of the, mm-hmm. of the process. And of course, sales temps. Um, you know, you might go to a contract sales organisation and say, give me one of your people for six months because I need to just to fill a gap sick leave or, or maternity leave. Or yeah, just so you've got somebody keeping mm-hmm. that relationship going with the customer. That's right. Even if they don't understand the, perhaps the, the detailed mm-hmm. part of it. Okay, that's fantastic. Um, so just, just wrapping up there, you've mentioned a, a couple of things that you think are important for SMEs to focus on at the moment, you know, cash being king mm-hmm. and this share, share of purse. Any other areas that you think are top tips for, for, for people to have a look at? Well, I suppose don't panic. Right. Um, uh, recessions end um, and, you know, bank policies change. Um I think um, the current situation is uh, where we 
we overhype um, mm. bad times, um, and that's not to belittle the fact that, you know, for example, here we are in Portsmouth, um, in shipbuilding at the beginning of this year, absolutely no orders were being placed. Um, in leisure marine, um, the sector has really switched from mm. new build to maintenance because new build's gone down about 60%. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those are dramatic figures and companies have um, struggled to deal with them. Um, but nevertheless, um, we know um, that times will change. Uh, and it is sometimes in a recession, uh, you know, you get some thinking time to look at the new opportunities for the future. And mm. so, um, you know, instead of time to worry, it should be time to look ahead. Excellent. Beth, thank you very much for that indeed. So thank you very much to Beth for that great interview. I think there's some really good practical tips in there. And if you've got any comments or questions to ask Beth, she's kindly agreed to get involved on the in the discussion forum on the, the Small Biz uh, Pod website. Now, a bit about the rest of the series. Uh, I thought I'd divide it up into three streams, these being, number one, uh, the sales and buying process, Number two, uh, sales skills and techniques. And number three, on sales management. Now, for each of these, there'll be a series of programs looking into them in, in, in a bit more detail. Now, in the next couple of episodes, I'm going to have interviews covering segmentation and territory planning. So that's really looking at you know, who we should be trying to sell to. And I've got a great one coming up with Liz Jackson, MBE, who you uh, may have seen recently on Channel 4's Secret Millionaire. And I'll be talking to Liz about uh, lead generation. Now, I'd like to make this series really interactive and, and respond to the real sales uh, issues that, that you have. So I'd love to hear from you about your issues and challenges uh, and requests for things for us to cover, both for the, for the website and the podcast. Um, and as I said earlier, what I'll do, I'll do my best to try and find the, the appropriate answers for that. Now, ways to contact me, um, there's either through the website at smallbizpod.co.uk and follow the links, or by email, it's unclespats, all one word, and spats, S-P-A-T-S, at smallbizpod.co.uk. Uh, on Twitter, you can follow me there, and my handle there is just unclespats, or you can leave me a message on Skype, and my address there is, guess what, it's just unclespats. I'd also like to get some good online discussion and debate going on particular topics, so we'll set up the facility uh, to do that and relate that to the website. And lastly, if there's something you'd like to, to either have reviewed or to review yourself, and this could be uh, a sales-related book, a website, a course, uh, a methodology, let me know and we'll see what we can do. Uh, and I've got this thought of trying to get some sort of sales lab together where we can look uh, maybe at things like sales courses. I mean, there's so many of them out there to get some reviews going of there to, to help you sort of find your way through, through the maze of things that are there. So that's about it uh, for the first episode. Uh, my thanks go to Beth Rogers for the interview and for the guest appearance by the Red Arrows. And of course to you for, for listening and I hope uh, you'll, you'll come back next time. Um, so all that remains now is just the obligatory closing music as pioneered by Alex. Now, 
I do have a different taste in music to Alex, so it's not going to be electronica. Uh, it's generally going to be something a bit more guitar orientated, maybe a bit of blues, old R&B, old soul, a bit of funk, something like that. Um, and as ever, it's going to be from our friends at IOTA PromoNet who are providing the music for us. So thanks, thank you to them. Now, for this episode, we're going to close with a track from the Martin Harley Band, and they're described as understated, mature, and intelligent masterpieces of American roots music. Um, now, a couple of oddities here. One is that, uh, given that it is American roots music, and that Martin, the Martin Harley Band actually come from Guildford in Surrey, and secondly, that given this is a sales podcast, and the title of this piece is Money Doesn't Matter to Me. See you next time. Take a lot more, take a lot more, take a lot to make a man truly happy.